Welcome to No Challenges Remaining on day 11 of the French Open. I'm Ben Rothenberg, joined by da, 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 Courtney Nguyen. Holy cow. Two times in one week? I know, right? Wild. Wild times. Crazy. What a privilege. What a luxury. <laughs> Too blessed. Too blessed. Oh, my. Outro song already. Christina Aguilera is blessed. It's not a bad track off her just, first album. Extina, really? You have to welcome me back with Extina? Is that a... can't... Okay. She, I, is she, she, she's not my, she's not my girl. That's all I'm saying. She's, she's <laughs> not, just not about it. Okay, fine. It will be under review. Strike that from the record. Well, we, you know, who is your girl? All four semifinalists. I don't know. Yeah, sure. So we are here to look ahead to the semifinals. The quarterfinals happened. I, I did not find this to be the most amazing round of Grand Slam ever in terms of memorability. I think the, the Schwartzman team match stood out as being a ride. It was. And, yeah. and and a fun ride. I, I enjoyed yeah. that match. I actually was, you know, everyone was like, oh, you probably hate this. Like, I didn't mind that match was that long, actually, because it was sort of in its own way silly and I had nowhere else to go. So, like, why not? Well, and know? also it was it was that type of match. And this I, I, I remember when we used to, when we talked to Petco years ago about Best of Five, where she was saying, like, by the way, the 2008 Wimbledon final, I did not watch that whole thing. Like, she was no. like, you know, I left and, you know, I went to brunch and I came back and it was still going. And what was quite nice <laughs> Or I guess what I did, why I didn't mind the long drawn out nature of Team Schwartzman was I was working at my desk. It was going on on my screen next to me. When it was bad, I just turned away and was doing other stuff. And then when it was riveting, I turned back and it became just like five hours of my background audio, I guess. And tuning in and out of it, I like, you know, that kept my attention in a way, you know, because... I didn't experience match watching fatigue, if that makes I sense. I agree with that. I think this is absolutely something tennis should not aspire to. No, um, <laughs> but but it's also fine. But it's also fine. It's it's fine for people who are in the sport. To me, it reminds me of like growing up in D.C. I'm sure this does not happen as many other places. But growing up in D.C., there would be some like friends, parents who would like always have C-SPAN on in the background of their house. And we're <laughs> never actually watching it, but it would always be on. And it kind of just feels like that, what you're describing a little bit. Like it's the well, sort of wallpaper. Well, and also it, it goes towards one of the not to make it about that, but I'll just say it anyway. One of the one of my personal things about about Best of Five, which that I do, which is that I do think that it is classist. I do think that yeah. like who in their right mind on a Tuesday has five hours in the middle of the day to sit and enjoy tennis, even if it's scintillating tennis, even if it's bad, like whatever. I mean, I like I said, like I was thoroughly entertained. So I'm not ripping that match at all. Like I had a good time. But there's also my job and I wasn't paid to watch it because obviously I'm not paid to watch men's tennis, but it was on and it was fine. Yeah, I just I worry a little bit about that. It's like five hours. That's that's a long time for a lot of people to watch a single sporting event. You are paid by our Patreon patrons for your scintillating men's tennis takes. Well, that's true. So there you go. <laughs> I will say, let's just actually, let's start with this match because we just kind of landed on it. Let's start with Diego, who's sure. our first. Let's do the men then first because that might make sense. Go Diego, go. Naturally. Diego into his semifinal beating Dominic team. Uh, Diego was up breaks or at least had chances to it. I forget exactly how it worked in both the second and third sets of that match. And that was also part of why I didn't mind that it kept going is because I saw the arc of the rainbow bending towards Diego with time. And I was like, I, I, I don't mind it getting there because it feels like he deserves to win this match. And he has enough runway in this format to get there eventually. And eventually things will right themselves, mm -hmm. even though he did have a chance in a fourth set tiebreak to finish Yeah, I, I didn't have the confidence that you had. And, and obviously I had separate interests in mind, which is that I was stressing about the Sviantec Trevisan match and whether or not it was going to get moved and all that sort of stuff and the late stoppage and all that. So I was just like, once Schwartzman dropped two sets to one down, I was like, team, just bagel him. It's fine. Like, I'm sorry, Diego, but, you know, I have professional concerns that override my fandom, uh, which may surprise people, honestly. But... Um, <laughs> But yeah, so I didn't I didn't necessarily see the the arc of justice bending back towards Diego Schwartzman, but but um but yeah, but also I didn't think that the sets were really all that drawn out and 
I don't know. It didn't feel like a slog for whatever reason that match. Well, I don't the know. The other why. thing is also that with because of how Diego plays and his stats and his great returning, he plays kind of like WTA rhythm yeah. matches because there's there's every every return game and every service game is every up for game grabs. is on the board. Exactly. Every game is on the board, right? So it doesn't feel at any point like you're just sort of like slogging through holds so like maybe somebody gets to like occasionally, you know, 30 all and it's a big deal. And and Dominic was 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 gassed, so yeah. it, that also kind of leveled the, leveled things out a little bit as well, and and thus yeah, there were a lot of breaks, and there have been, I mean, a lot of breaks of serve on the men's side. It feels mm-hmm. like more so than normal at this tournament, which makes sense. Cooler conditions, maybe new ball. I don't know what the whole situation is, but it seems like there's just a lot less reliable serving this year than I feel like I remember in the past. Don't hold me to that. I don't have the stats in my head, but that's just a feeling. So, yeah, no, you're right. I mean, I guess in that way, it did feel very WTA. Like, I don't know, you know, the result hangs in the balance and every game is on the board. And yeah, so and there were rallies, which I'm not saying that WTA matches always have rallies. That's not my point. But there were rallies in that that match that, yeah, seemed fun. So I didn't mind it. But I mean, good on Diego. I'm glad that ultimately, like, I didn't want it to go to a fifth set because of timing. I wanted team to just get that fourth set and have that match be done. But once it went to the fifth set, I was like, Diego, (laughs) my friend, Hermano, come on, bro, get it done. And he did, which is nice and good for him. Super happy for him to make semifinals. The Argentina Open. Amazing. Two Argentinians in the semifinals, which is awesome. Love getting Latin America back on back on the board because sometimes they're, they're, they haven't been in this deep of a major since Delpo. So, yeah. I will say about the Argentines, and I think this goes for all South America, like they are ready. Like they have like their media is checked into the tournament. Oh, my it's not, gosh. It's not but, like go ahead. No, but I mean, like, like, so when I covering the WTA press conferences, like usually when I jump into a p- press conference, I see between 20 and 30 people in yeah. WTA press conferences for the big players. Uh, Podoroska the other day after making semis and even after that, even before that, the quarters, 43. Mm. They were not English speaking press. It was no. like maybe two English speaking press in there. Like they mobilize fast and they're on it, which is really, really cool. And, and what I was going to say is they have the culture for it, right? Like, they they know tennis. They get tennis. They have history with tennis. They yeah. have history with women's tennis and Sabatini. And obviously, it's been pretty dormant lately. Uh, I believe there are currently zero top 100 players in the current rankings from South America, right? And so that's a country that used to have your Sabatinis and even more recently, your Dolcos, your Paula Suarez's. Uh, shout out to others. French Open semifinalist 2002, Clarissa Fernandez, if you want to throw her in there. Like, uh, I don't get to say the name Clarissa Fernandez nearly enough on this show. <laughs> they they have, and it's actually the same kind of thing with Japan, too, because Japan had been a country before Kay and Naomi showed up. Japan knew tennis. Japan yeah. was like not, which is different than China. Japan yes. knew tennis. Japan had a history of the sport, had tournaments for a long time, had players back in the early 20th century who were players. So, that's kind of like found money for literally and figuratively yeah. for the tour when you can reignite a dormant market that wants it, right? That has the appetite for it and just hasn't produced like this. And and, and on men's side too, I mean, Diego is the first Argentine uh, semifinalist since Delpo and Delpo has been very often on. So I think that goes for all of South America and nobody else. And obviously it's been a very European sport in both men's and women's yeah, uh, but, but we're more always, so on the men's. Yeah, but it, but it's definitely been a, a dearth of the last like you know five ten years, and you know right because even before then, yeah, there was still you know not the the booming history of before, but you still had the Chileans, Gonzalez and and Masu, but mainly Gonzalez, I guess, and you know and on the women's side, yeah, like I mean we all love Gisela Dulco from the bottom of our hearts, uh, but yeah, so it's 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 nice to see that it's nice to get that exposure in South America as well for the sport. And one thing, like you had mentioned before about Argentina, that that's quite nice, is that they respect like women being good at that sport, yeah. like their history. And I mean, I feel like this this way, like in South America generally, because they also had, I mean, Brazil had Maria Bueno. Yeah, there's history of like women, like very, very good women coming out of South America. So the way that, and I love the way that that 
Diego like gets excited about the Sabatini tweets um, and how they just absolutely continue to valorize her as they should because she a queen. You know, it's it's really lovely to see that legacy continue. And so I feel like there's there's good respect for, you know, back home of, of what Podoroska is doing as opposed to kind of like treating her like a novelty, which I've seen happen before when countries that maybe don't respect women's tennis as much, like have a breakout, they kind of are just like... They don't really actually know how to deal with it. Maybe a little Argentine tennis trivia that I stumbled across like last Love year. It. So far away. Uh, there was a player in the 50s, mostly from Argentina, woman player named Mary Tehran Device, who was like one of the sort of like Ted Tinling kind of girls who was like one okay. of the, the glamour girls of tennis in the 50s back then. And she was like a quarterfinalist at the French Open a couple of times, was like top 10 and whatever the rankings were back then. But she became like a super controversial fi- figure in in Argentina because she was connected to the Perón uh, political movement, and Love so it. like after that went south, she got like exiled oh, and dear. just like totally blacklisted. And now, like more recently, they've sort of like and she and then I think she killed herself, and then so, so sad ending for her. But then sort of a happy dating month. They named a stadium after her in Buenos Aires. So like twenty years after that, so. Anyway, that was your dramatic sidebar into Peronism on this podcast. So there you go. That was weird. But yes. uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, But yes, good to have Argentina on the board. Happy for Diego. We'll talk about Podoroska a little bit later. But um, but yeah, just glad that he was able to manage it, manage it. And, you know, don't love that he had to play those five sets. Should have had that in three sets and had a ton of rest, you know, before playing Rafa. Glad that he gets the two days off in the schedule. Yeah. Happy that his side of the draw was that. But speaking of Rafa... Mm-hmm. We have the Yannick Sinner correspondent um, on the show in Ben Rothenberg. You obviously have been uh, keen on Yannick. I feel like the way that you feel about Yannick Sinner is kind of like how I feel about Iga Swiatek. Like That's in terms of wrong. Yeah. we've we've been on that train early, mm-hmm. um, and probably out- sounded ridiculous maybe a year or two ago to people, but now victory laps are, are allowed. I think, but but yeah, I, I, explain to me. Yannick Sinner's uh, tournament, and then how do you think that he fared against uh, Rafa? I know, obviously, straight set loss, but, you know. Well, before before we get to Sinner, I just want to okay. say, I feel like our train conducting, our, like, our timetables and our little brochure, like, y'all better hop on board, because we do some good stuff. Like, we were hey. so early on eyes for the Naomi Osaka train. Like, that's the main one. That's, like, that's sort of our claim to fame. We were the only ones, like, big enough Osaka for years, and now she's got three slams. You know, I'm sure there's other examples, too, that could come to mind of people we were sort of earlier on. She's one of the first one that comes to mind in terms of, like, we sort of occasionally know what we're talking well, about. I, yeah. I mean, it's it's one of those where I think Ash Marshall sent out a tweet today or yesterday that was kind of like who's, like, one of your, like, a deep cut player that you love watching. Mm-hmm. And I actually had to rack my brain for quite a bit because actually most of the deep cut players that I considered at one point deep cut ended up not being deep cut by the time by now like you know it's like if i were to say a shay sue or if i were to say like back in the day like lee na or 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 sam sam stozer kasatkina you know like that sort of stuff it's like well and we're talking sam you know way before sam sam yeah so it's 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 uh it's quite difficult to identify, but yeah, no. But you've been on you've been on the center train. Yeah. So I've been on the center train, really. And I know a couple were on there a little bit earlier. If you want to be hipster, you know, argument about this. But really, I had heard of him and then was intrigued to watch him in his first round of Rome last year, which is only fifteen months. Or sorry, only what nineteen months ago, eighteen months ago, something like that. Whatever you want to do the math. All right, less than that. Sixteen months ago, seventeen at eh, last year in Rome. Uh, <laughs> Yannick, I still frequently pull up photos from this match because he looked so young he looked 12 years old in this match he's aged a lot in terms of just how he looks and his haircut and things sort of filling out a little bit and just looking less like a young jody foster than he did back in 2019 he's very eric stoltzy these days like that's who that's who he looks like to me hmm. if if you know who eric stoltz is i don't think i do but that sounds like a transformation from young jody foster well, it's same era, but uh, Eric Stoltz will, was big, was big in the Stoltz. 80s and 90s. Eric Stoltz was in Pulp Fiction. He's the drug dealer. He also was in okay. Mask. Um, he's, oh, this guy, looks know like, him. Like, this guy looks like a sort of like a rougher Seth Green. Well, he looks like a rougher, older Yannick Sinner to me is my point. Okay, but, fair. But yes. 
Yeah, okay, I see it. He seems somewhere between like a Seth Green and a Domhnall Gleeson. Sure. You just you're just going through the Ginger Hall of Fame. <laughs> Pretty much. And what a Hall of Fame it is. And look, so Sinner in this match immediately like holds his own. And it's a big testament to Rafa, right? That like Sinner's at four all in the first. And I'm like, oh my god, Sinner's at four all in the first. This is amazing. Because like everyone Rafa just blows everybody off the table, right? So when Sinner right. was hanging with him early and just like Seemed fully comfortable in points. And this happened. This is throughout the match. Even though the score, scoreboard turned against him. Yannick did not seem overwhelmed at all by this. I think the conditions were really good for him. Playing in the lower, bouncing, slower, colder conditions, I think, really did help Yannick. And that probably did tilt things further in his favor. Oh, Eric Stoltz was going to play Marty McFly? What? 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 Oh, yeah. No, Eric Stoltz was a very, very big deal in the 80s and 90s. He was. He's okay. kind of one of those sliding doors actors that probably should have had, like better roles and been bigger but he's he's very much woven into the fabric of any gen x kids uh upbringing did they like FYI. start filming with him because there's all these like shots of him in various scenes from back to the future yeah he was fired from back to the future hmm, fun facts legend well anyway yannick sinner fired himself from being on sir when he went up a break for six five in the first set against nadal nadal broke back that was sort of you know the first time you could see the nerves getting to him a little bit uh, but then Sinner lost that tiebreak, then went up 3-1 in the second. Didn't seem like he totally packed it in, which you might expect him to. Lost the the second 6-4. Third set was not as close. But people, like, watching it were, like, super, super impressed. I saw people, like, for getting sure. on board the Sinner train for sure. And just, you know, and he just seems to have, he just, like, plays, like, maximizing his gifts in this way that's, like, not all that common as much as it should be in men's tennis right now. Let's put it that way. And... It's really refreshing to watch. He's very satisfying to watch because there's this clarity about him that's really cool to see. And even yeah. against the challenge like Rafa on clay, he still like went out there and quote unquote played his game in a way that was was really consistent and, and came very close to getting a, a massive result. Not very close, yeah. but he was on his way to doing better. Well, it was he a good performance, well. all, yeah. all things considered, and a very good kind of showcase, I think. For for what he for, could, for what he could do, which is what you want, right? I mean, if I think about like Sviantek, like I'm very very happy, regardless of like what happened yesterday or whatever. But like that she got her showcase against Halep, that she got like with all eyes on that match, everybody kind of watching, everybody walked away being like, "Holy crap, this kid is incredible!" Like that was like an amazing performance. That's what you want to you want these young kids. To kind of yeah. have they don't need to win the big titles necessarily but they need to have those showcase moments um so both of those players got that i think with sinner what i really liked about him because i haven't really tracked him through like i know of him through your guys's love of him sure more so than my direct like i don't actually sit down and watch a sinner match until really i mean a full match really here at roland garros before that not so much maybe a little bit in rome but he, but what you were saying about in terms of maximizing his gifts and having a clarity of what he wants to do out there and that being very satisfying to watch, it reminds me of kind of like when I first started watching Tsitsipas. And I was like, yeah. it felt like Stefanos knew what he wanted to do out on the court and he had a, he knew what, how he wanted to play his tennis. Medvedev, I think, is, is kind of similar. Like, I mean, he knows how he wants to play. Kind of, except mm -hmm. for I guess on clay, but but um, but generally, like he 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 has a thing that he's trying to do, and he's going to go out there and do it. And you're right; that is a very that is a very satisfying thing to to observe, which I never really thought about it that way. But yeah, it it just seems like he has a you know it's not, I mean, maybe he'll have to adjust and obviously evolve his game as he goes along, but just especially against Rafa, where so many people panic, like we saw like. Mackie McDonald, you know, like, obviously he was getting killed. It was a very different match. Mackie threw in, like, one of the worst underhand serves, just where it was, like, a complete, like, sort of last hurrah thing. So it was a really bad underhand serve, too. So it was, like, like I applaud the idea, but the execution was so bad. People were like, underhand serves are canceled. It's like, no, it's just a really bad one for Mackie. Everything was going wrong for Mackie in this match. Anyway, uh, yeah, Sinner, Sinner was impressive, and Nadal was impressive, too. I mean, like, we can say now that he's in the semis. Like, I don't think you can say, wow, Nadal, even if he loses to Diego. You can't be like, wow, the conditions really screwed in at all. Like, if you make semis, you're fine. He's not going to lose to Diego. He's not going to lose to Diego. I think that he looks really good. I don't good. think so either. But I, but Diego did beat him in a in a cold, for sure, Roman match. But I very but, but, small but, margins in that win, and it was best sure. of three. So, for sure. And also, Rafa just lost too much. I'm sure will remotivate him and recalibrate him and make make him take Diego 
more seriously, even if he does say he takes everyone very seriously. Like there's still different degrees when you've lost somebody your last match that especially in your last tournament that will amp you up more and make you focus more and, and be more tactical. You against, know what Rafa should do? Guy. You What's know what that? Rafa should do? He should take a page from Iga Sriantek's book and learn lessons from that loss and apply them in the next match and get his revenge. Iga Sviantek, notably a Rafael Nadal fan. Can you explain your, the, the, the pedigree here? Yeah, no. So I, I was, I don't know, bored during the men's matches today. So so I was like going through all the Instagram accounts of the four semifinalists. Like not Petra, because I know Petra is pretty well, but just kind of going from the beginning, especially to kind of. And so I went through like Sviantek's entire Insta. And um, yeah, because there's like pictures of her with the Fed cap on, a Roger, because she used to be a Nike athlete. So there's, I think... When Sasha Osmo was interviewing her two years ago at Australian Open, she was wearing like a Roger Federer hat. And then after that, she was wearing all these Rafa hats. And she had a very funny reaction after winning after on court after her yeah. semi her quarterfinal where she was like, is is Rafa still playing? And Marion Bartoli's like, yeah. And she's like, OK, cool. And she like ran off the court. So everybody's like, oh, so what's her deal? Is she a Rafa fan? Like a Federer fan? Uh, somebody tweeted like she invented Fadal, um, all this sort of stuff. But it turns out <laughs> so she's a big she's a big Rafa fan, as she explained in her press conference today after her doubles uh, quarterfinal win. And she said that like Rafa's the only player that she watched is how she phrased it growing up. And she's Bless a big severe. Rafa fan. So no, she did not invent Fadal. And I'm sure she doesn't hate Roger. <laughs> I'm sure that like wearing a Roger cap was totally fine. But yeah, so there's a funny, though, very cute video from 2017, which is the first year that she played uh, Roland Garros Juniors, um, where she's like watching, she's cheekily watching Roger or Rafa practice. So uh, keep your eye on that one, depending on what the uh, results of this tournament. Uh, if kind if of... they both walk away with trophies, let, let's just pivot to to that, that other semifinal while we're here. This sort of yesterday's okay. winner. So Sviantek. Shontek's run has been incredible. I don't know if people are restating it enough, but she beat both of last she beat last year's finalists, Vondrosheva, six one, six two. She beat Halep six one six two. She beat Shea six one six four, and she beat Bouchard, uh, who's been playing well, uh six three, six two. So and then she beat Trevisan, who'd been beating lots of people, six three, six one. So like that is some some business like business from Iga Sviantek. And I gotta say the Trevisan match especially was like such a trap match. Like you go in and beating Halep that easily and that big and you really and you're making your deepest into a slam and you get somebody who even as untested as you are, everyone thinks you should handle like that is not an easy thing whatsoever to deal with. And the fact that she dealt with it, she got down an early break, I believe, in that match. Mm -hmm. yep. And then she rolled. And I was actually in, in some ways like more impressed with that effort. than the Yeah, Halep no, one. because also she she, you know, she had to wait. For a really long time, had to warm up, I think, multiple times because she was playing after the team Schwartzman match. Um, it was a late start. You're going out there, like you said, exactly how I would describe it, an absolute trap match, uh, a match that everybody expects you to win, but actually you could very easily lose because especially mm -hmm. the way Trevisan plays and the way that Sviantek plays, if Iga doesn't, can't find the court, if she's missing, which is what happened in the first three games of that match, she was really slow with her feet. Um, her, you could tell the acceleration through her shots wasn't there. And I think that, yeah, like I think myself and I think Carol Bouchard, we were both like, hmm, you know, this is a little bit worrisome. You know, she's coming out and she looks really rattled. And then she just reeled it back in and made her adjustments and then just kind of ran away with the match in a lot of ways from there. Very, very impressive from her. Um, I think that, you know, I think being she's in both semis of the doubles and the singles, I think that helps her a lot. I think that yeah. she doesn't have to think about what's happening right now. Every day she has a match. Every day she has to, like, wake up and suit up and go play. I think that helps. But again, and, and it's one of the things that I've just found really impressive with her. I think that her her rise, which has been fast, mind you. I mean, like, there's no, this is not a late bloomery. She's 19 years old. She's only playing in her second main draw at Roland Garros. Two years ago, she was the doubles champion in girls with Katie McNally and lost in the semifinals of the girls tournament to Katie McNally. And mm. that's the tournament that Coco Goff beat McNally in. So, like... And she had match points on McNally in the semifinal. And then the and then a month later, she won the girls' title at Wimbledon. That was just two years ago. Yeah. So that's how fast this is, okay? So, but that being said, her rise through the rankings and her rise to 
prominence, quote unquote, has been very incremental. It's been very step by step. Um, and she's had these little flashes where you saw what she could do. And then, you know, because kind of the realities of making that transition onto the pro tour kind of hits and she takes a few losses, injuries as well. But the last 12 months have been really outstanding for her, kind of starting with, you know, the round of 16 at Roland Garros in her debut last year. Then she had that great tournament in Toronto where she beat Wozniacki, but that was a late night match and nobody really watched it. And then she put on that great straight set uh, loss to um, Osaka, which blossomed one of the great WTA friendships mm. and then uh and then yeah has kind of been quiet ever since uh and then here just she hasn't lost a set in either singles or doubles I mean she made fourth she, round in Australia right she did so that was that was a good run for her too but for someone unseated that's a good run for sure, for um, sure. But yeah but singles and doubles here she is a testament to the power of best of three you gotta love it you gotta love being able to play both draws men just cannot well, who would agree to do that what a terrible labor situation they have they should really work on that. But no, Sviantec, she just has this sort of X factor and you see her play, especially obviously seeing her. I mean, I think it's fair to use the word treeing against Halep, just like being, oh, perfect being match. unplayable against Halep. Yeah, perfect that was obviously match. the biggest part of her, but just the way she sees the court, she's very clear about things. She's a very good competitor. Her and mental side gets talked about a lot. I don't know if you're going to say that, but mental side with, with traveling with a psychologist from a very early age, which is pretty unheard of, making that like a key component of her game and why the heck not when so many people talk about you know a Djokovic or an Nadal and what do they say is their biggest feature well it's their an Earth Serena like it's their mental strength like why not work on that just as much as everything else and this idea that that it is something that can be worked on that mm -hmm. you travel with a physio why or you travel with a trainer why would you not you know travel with with a with a mental coach um she's just a very interesting personality because she just finished high school uh, during the the lockdown, because of her high school studies and the testing that she had to be doing, she had to like opt out of tournaments at times. It, school and homework was always on her mind and she'd show up to practice and like she'd be exhausted and heavy legged and her coach would be like, what is wrong with you? And she's like, oh, I was up late last night doing homework. Um, she's a big math nerd. Her favorite subject. I think what I was like, what's your favorite subject in school? And she's like math and math. I was like, you're so weird. What is wrong with you? She's a big nerd, period. As you know, from my conversation, my interview with Kaya Yuvan in uh, Roehampton last year when Yuvan was playing qualies and I think eventually qualified for that tournament. And Iga was there just watching because they're, they're like long-term, you know, juniors, BFFs. She was there and she was carrying this enormous book with her. It was like literally just like a, a big tome, like a big doorstop <laughs> of a book that she was lugging around with her. And she was actually, and I remember seeing the book like I remember seeing, so I remember seeing her, like a, like three days later, at, I think at Wimbledon, and she still had the book with her, and the bookmark had advanced. Like I saw like four hundred pages of this book, and I was like, "Well, you're actually getting through the book." And she was like, "Yeah, of course, it's not decoration it's not or something." Like no, I was like, but I was like, "Wow, you're intense by her reads." Anyway, so she was in the story, which I know I've told an answer before, but it's she's relevant here. So Shantek was talking with Yvonne. Yvonne was making fun of Shantek for always like wanting to go to these like London souvenir stores and buy like. I think she bought like a Henry VIII t-shirt or something, some sort of Henry VIII. As you do. As, as an 18-year-old does. does. Right. And as, a, as you know, everyone, you know, off the plane from Poland, right, to the gift shop for the Henry VIII stuff. And and Kai Yuvan was like, and she buys this Henry VIII stuff, and, and, and I don't understand it at all. And he just looks at her and sort of sighs and goes, you know, I love the Tudors. It kills me every time. Best slide. Signature quote for me Signature for Eager will always be, you know I love the tutors. It's so good. It's so good. And um, but yeah, she's so she's she's incredibly intelligent. And she said in an interview with RollingGirls.com with our friend Chris Otto mm -hmm. uh, this week that her her goal, this was before her match against uh, Halep, but she said, you know, I'm gonna basically treat the next two years as my gap year. So I'm going to basically commit 100% to tennis because now my, my high school's done. I'm going to see what happens. And if I'm, I love the way that she phrased it. If I'm top 10 and I'm competing for slams, then obviously I won't have time to go to university. But <laughs> if I'm not, and if I'm just kind of like top 100, then I'm just going to go to university, like in two years, which had never occurred to me in my head that she might not just like, like already have ambitions of being like a full-time pro for the next decade so that was quite interesting but that gives you some insight into her in terms of she's a pretty well-rounded kid honestly um she and also 
Yeah, go ahead. And also ambitious. Like she's not content just because you can make a nice living being ranked 40th in the WTA for 10 years, you know, like that's that will set you if not for life, you know, it will set you up pretty nicely, especially with money continuing to go up. Well, who knows what the future holds in sports and everything going on. But at least, you know, it, it it has been a stable living if you can't be that good. But she is not content as Andy Roddick, I think, would sort of say late in his career, she's not content to just like exist on tour. Like she yeah. wants to really be relevant and be contending for things. And she has a real chance here. I mean, she's again, a big favorite in the next round against Podoroska. And I am, I think it's again, a trap match. I think you're going to back to back traps. I think 100%. that's traps on traps on traps. But I do think <laughs> that there is a, a real, you know, chance for her to make a final here. And, and, and I was really impressed by how she handled the first trap. Doesn't yeah. mean the second trap isn't still trappy, but it's another well, match where she should she should win. And I think that Podoroska is a, a a bigger just X's and O's and just speaking on the tennis, she's a bigger threat than than Trevisan. She has more power, more pop, a few more kind of aggressive tools. I think that's something that we're obviously seeing. Uh, I mean, at least on the well, I mean, especially on the women's side, I guess I should say that these conditions and what the type of tennis that is winning here at Roland Garros this year is aggressive tennis. It's not your typical clay court tennis. You got Petra Kvitova in the semis. You've got Sofia Kennan in the semis. You have Iga Sviantek in the semis. And you have Nadia Podoroska, who has a great forehand, very heavy. She can really dictate from the middle of the court with it. That's what you saw her do in just dismantling Alina Svitolina, which was just such a... I mean, you got to feel for, for Svitz because... She just didn't show up in that match. And when you talk about a trap match, that was the trap match for Svitolina yeah. and she fell right through it, which is, you know, you're the top seed left in the tournament. You're the only seed left. You're the only player ranked in the top 50 in, in your the, section and your the, half, the of, the half of the draw. It's crazy. And you've never made a final. It's pay- And you're like one of the most winningest players on tour. Like you, these are matches you win on the tour level, right? Like, like Svitolina does not take soft losses. No. On, at tour so and then just yeah she just didn't show up and she acknowledged as much she's just like super disappointed that she didn't handle it well at all but Podoroska also showed that you know what she could do against a kind of more passive player a player that doesn't have have weapons now obviously Sviantek has weapons so that's why I think that like once that semifinal was set um, I was actually really intrigued by it from just a tennis perspective I think that there's both of them have weapons to hurt each other. And so I'm really, really curious to see kind of how they both handle it. They're both working with mental coaches. Podoroska as well has been working with one for the last uh, couple of years, her coach said. And he said that how it impacted her was that maybe if she were to play a Grand Slam, you know, as her old self, she would go out there and she would feel the pressure to basically overplay and to use power and to be more aggressive and she'd just miss. And now she's become much more content with understanding that she doesn't have to play that way, that she can stay calm and just play her game and her game is good enough to to get yeah. wins. And that's really the difference because I asked him, like, you know, is she redlining here? Like, obviously, you know, because you've seen her. He's like, she's not playing outside of herself at all. But, but what is kind of, and I'm paraphrasing, but what is kind of the redlining is that she's playing within herself. Like, that mm-hmm. is the breakthrough, right? Because... You know, maybe before 2020, uh, she would she would try to overplay and that would be, you know, she would try to redline and it wouldn't work, basically. Right. So. So, yeah. So I, I think that it's a super interesting semifinal. Um, Sviantek's the, the favorite to win it, I think, for sure. But just because of the way that she plays and, and the different weapons she has. And I just I don't know. I'm so impressed with her game. I just I think she can hit every shot in the book and she can hit her forehand and backhand in different ways and different trajectories and different spins while still being aggressive. It's, it's really impressive. It's really impressive, but Absolutely. it's a trap, but it's a trap match. Is it going to trap? Podoroska has looked calm as a cucumber through two weeks. Like, well, here's the thing with, and we, I think this is fair to say, like this tournament has shaken out to have the biggest seed apocalypse and not all at once and not, top down like sometimes they do where it gets more attention but low key and actually it wasn't until gruskin was on the show on day five that he pointed out like how few seeds were left because i hadn't really noticed at that yeah, point they trickled out they trickled out and it was almost all from like the bottom half of the seeds right it was like at some point there was no seed pretty early on there was no seed left between like nine and then jabber was like 30 and then after that it was it was empty like in that whole nine to 30 range when sabalenka left i guess 
and or whatever she yeah something like that we've only this this stat this record there's only going to have been at the end of this tournament four matches between seeds which is so crazy. crazy and apparently according to tennis abstract the average is like 16 at a slam of matches between seeds and we're at four like that's wild that is completely off the charts yep. bonkers um and obviously we're getting a big one we talk we'll talk about a little bit later ken and is the last one four seven that's the biggest one yet but my my point is, I think that this not completely fanless, not pure bubble, but kind of desolate French Open we're getting with very scant fans, I think has to be so comfortable for these players like your Sviantex who's been on lower tours, absolutely your Podoroskas, who are used to playing in really non-cush conditions, you know, like yeah. really like in front of few of scant fans, right? Like cold like because a lot of times the tournaments that are at the lower levels are not held like a peak season at all yep. these you know resort towns or whatever they're kind of held a bit off peak and they're kind of you there's a lot more more leggings involved in the itf tour put it that way and so that sort of toughness i think is translated really for podoroska and podoroska has a chance to be the first qualifier in history to make a grand slam final she's one match away from that that would be a huge breakthrough in the entire structure of women's tennis and it'd be kind of or tennis grand slam tennis period and it'd be kind of amazing if it happens uh one slam roof when there was no qualifying i mean who knows yeah. how much if there was something like that might have happened in new york i don't know i still think new york was a different feel to it but the french open uh, yeah i just think it has this more i don't want to say podunk i feel like that's a that's a, that's a negative term but it has this accessibleness to it <laughs> the turn, it's, it just, that way. It's, it's non-pretentious right earthy earthy <laughs> earthy it's it's um like artisan like you know yeah. like <clears throat> where Artisan. all the edges are all, all the edges are, are still um still there i think yeah i think that there's tons to that and and you know when you think about and even was when i was going through shviantex insta like how recently yeah she was playing 60ks yeah. and 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 celebrating you know oh my highest ranking ever and it was like 400 something like this is all within the last you know couple years for her um two, two oh. and a half in juniors, like you just said, she was playing slams at the same time as Coco Golf was. And granted, Coco Golf was a younger player in those junior slams, but she's of that newness. She's of that general that she has had yeah. this, a similar, relatively she had fewer age rules, but similar lack of pro level experience, and she's already here. And yeah. so, as super, but but that's yeah, the thing impressive. though is that she still will have even as recently because it's not even just about playing on the ITFs. It's also, and Kenan, I think, will is falls into this category as well. It's also, you know, like when I, the last time I had spoken to Iga before the restart was in Doha. And, you know, Iga's ranked outside of the top 50. We're in the Middle East. She's not getting center court where it's a little bit more shielded and the c conditions are a little bit more controlled. So she was out on an outer court. Um, I think she beat Vekic maybe. And I hadn't watched the match, but I had to, I was interviewing her for something else. And I was like, oh, how was your match? And she's like, oh, my God, it was so windy and it was so cold. And she's like, I have no idea how I got through that. And, you know, like and there's nobody there watching that match because yeah. it was also a night match. Mm. Um, so she's used to that sort of you're doing amazing things and there's just an echo in the in the stadium you know when you're doing them and same with Kenan. i mean up until the australian open it's a similar situation for her she wouldn't have got or, or received you know prime placement on court on center courts and prime tv slots uh she would have been battling it out on the outer courts with not a lot of fans out there watching and so these are players who know either how to gen you, you talk about a Siegemund, you know making it deep these are players who have had to to generate their own energy and, and yeah. know how to play in those in those environments in order to get f where they are in their careers you got me thinking now like if Sviantec makes the final or wins this tournament both very real possibilities right and she becomes a grand slam champion and a thing having done it through this path i don't know how just from her personality how she handles like suddenly being a thing if like the tour suddenly snaps back to life in 20 well i think it'll be eased back in some way but if let's let's imagine right in this like scenario which i don't know will really happen if there's like a normal australian open and it's like fifteen thousand fans in labor and she is the big attraction recent french open champion number four seed like leading off the day session and she's like the thing and it's Iga Svantec, and she's sort of like, who are all these people? <laughs> like, because yeah. if you if you if you win a slam in this really 
covert, you know, like ninja fashion that she's doing, obviously granted beating, like I said, a murderous row of people and earning it by, by every measure, but in a very different environment, like, I think the same thing, the question was also being asked about Jan Brady during the U S open, right? Like how much of her success will trans or is because of this, these conditions and will it translate when that stops being the case? I don't know. It's something just to think about much later down the road for these players and for Podoroska too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's an extra variable for sure, you know, and something that they have to deal with. But I, again, I think that if you're a 19 year old kid and you've already seen the 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 value of, of working with a sports psychologist since you were like 17 years old, I think that probably you'll 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 figure it out, uh, yeah. not without stumbles. Um, and especially I mean, the biggest thing for Iga is if something like that were to happen, I would I my question would be actually more about outside of like i guess winning wimbledon as a junior but this is where you didn't make an incremental step yeah. this is where the success came so fast in two weeks right um and then how do you deal with it but she's also in a situation where likely if it were to happen you have you know two two and a half months to figure out how to deal with it until we yeah. get back into things but um yeah it's an, but you know that's so far down the road because like i said the podoroska match is absolutely a trap match it would not surprise me at all if nadia podoroska wins it because i've been very very impressed by her tennis this week so it's one to watch and we'll have a lot more for the final and whoever wins this match the other semi-final women's side to get to that is the more and i remember when we talked about this and when you were on the show on sunday whenever it was you were on the show um, that there wasn't there were multiple avenues right for how this slam could work out it could either be a chalky Halep Svitolina Kenan Kvitova like one three four seven semifinals or it could be something nuts and we got a mix we got one almond joy nuts and one bounds and the one that's not so nuts is Kenan Kvitova because sometimes you don't <laughs> like a nut <laughs> it's it's so true I like them both equally but there's a time and a mood for each yeah, you know, if you get two of them, it just feels like 100K St. Gaudens or something. But you get the mix. You you know where you are based on Sophia Kennan and Kiva being there in this 4-7 match. Kennan, you know, toughed out a win over Daniel Collins today. Um, <laughs> the the direction of this match on Tennis Channel was something. <laughs> their their take of it was, was amusing of their... <laughs> I don't know how much more I need to get into that, but I was I I saw what they were doing and I appreciated it because they were just clearly it, it was like they it was like so clearly like we're punchy it's day eleven this is how we're treating this match yeah um, yeah no it's uh you know it, it great I mean unbelievable run I think for Danielle Collins yeah uh, welcome back for to sure. relevance Danielle Collins well and it's funny too because because in January people forget she was killing people in january yeah she was Her mowing Brisbane was down unbelievable unreal like she was barely dropping games to like absurdly good players at the start of the season and um it didn't you know and and i think that before the australian open i feel like a lot of us were just kind of like watch out for danielle collins yeah. like just no, absolutely. you know be careful so collins in in brisbane i remember watching both these matches in person first round beats alina svitalina 6-1 6-1 Second round beats Putin Seva six one six zero, and then she lost to Keys. Okay, then it was ended pretty quickly. But then she, and then she lost to Putin Seva in the second round of Melbourne, which was a shock. And and then the pandemic she, happened. She, so yeah, we but didn't she get she looked sharp at the start of the so season. So good. You know, it's it's definitely surprising, obviously, to see her get a result like this on red clay, which which even though she says, you know, don't write me off on red clay. She, she was saying that during the tournament, but then today she was like, I'm really proud of myself for making it this far because I do not know how to play on red clay. So I was just like, I, you know, I mean, great effort by her. And she beats, I mean, that I feel like one of the big bracket busters uh, of a tournament Muguruza. full of bracket busters was beating Muguruza. Yeah. Um, that was a big, that shifted the, the axis of the, of the, the women's draw by a significant amount. Um, so that was definitely surprising. But Petra Kvitova, Hasn't dropped a set, looked really, really sharp, is serving very well. I think that's a big key. And like, I love feeling vindicated. There's nothing more that I love than winning and being right. It gives me such joy. Believe me, ben know. knows this. Ben knows this. And the years that I have spent, like during the clay season in Stuttgart, in Rome, at Roland Garros with Petra Kvitova, 
and asking her in press conferences repeatedly every year. I do this to her and I do this to Madison Keys all the time. Like, there is no reason why you cannot win on clay. That's not even a question. It's a statement. <laughs> like, it's just true. And I just love that Petra sits there and she's like, I mean, I don't know. My game just doesn't work on me. I mean, I know I've won Madrid a few times and I won Stuttgart. It's like, you can. The conditions might have to be perfect for you to do it. But, you know, and a few things break your way. But you can. So it's great to see her back in a semifinal at Roland Garros for the first time in eight years. Um, just her second semifinal and, you know, um, two and oh against Sonia Kennan, a very different Sonia Kennan though. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you kind of throw the head to head out the, the window a little bit in the same way that you throw it out of the, the window with the Kennan, uh, Collins match today where Kennan hadn't won a set off Danielle and then wins in three. But, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's an, it's, I'm not sure even just, yeah, watching today's semifinals, which felt weirdly a little bit more random to me. Then the top half, I don't know why the top half just was like, oh, okay, chaos reigned. But here it was like, oh, Kenan made it through. Hmm. And Kvitova made it through. Huh. And Sigmund, Sigmund had been very under the radar. Like, I don't, I don't think, yeah. except, honestly, except for that first match against Bledovich, sure. she and hadn't been in the spotlight much. Um, yeah. Petra, I'm sort of nervous about Petra because I really feel like she should win this tournament. And I don't want to put that out there because it make you know, because Petra obviously has been through a lot and Courtney's telling me to shush. And if I say it, oh, here's the thing. I'll say it quietly. Slightly ASMR prediction here. Petra Kvitova. Girl, you got this. I believe in you. And we're back. Yeah. Yeah. So I, yeah. She, she can, I, this draw, this conditions favor hitters. Kennan's the only kind of non hitter of this four. And then you put her in a final, potentially against the Sviantec or Podoroska, and she's got such more experience in that kind of stage than either of those two. Like, I, I just really think she can. And she came close to getting that sort of moment in Australia 2019, obviously, making the final there. It would be amazing if she got it here. I mean, that would be completely full circle, the tournament that exactly. she came back to at 2017. And you know she's feeling that. She's having these emotions and everything. And I think she's trying to block it. I mean, it, it was wild. Um, I really unexpected. didn't expect it yeah. at the quarterfinals. Um, you know, two points from the win in the quarterfinals, and you just saw the emotion of what was happening really hit Petra. And um, that's when she really felt and kind of almost you feel like the uh, I don't know, like the the you know, how on iPhone photos, they come up with those video, those memories videos mm. of like, this is where you were like, you know, this day, blah, blah, blah. I feel like that just kind of started cycling through her through her mind's eye um, of just remembering that day. And I think all of us really remember the day of her press conference and the day that she played her first match here at 2017 after obviously the violent attack in her home during December of 2016, pretty, it would be pretty remarkable for her to go completely full circle. I think that there would be a lot of tears shed if she were able to pull that off. But, you know, Sonia Kennan really showed, showed me something today against Danielle Collins. I, you know, Sonia has been really having to fight through some, th some three setters. She's been real dominant in the three set in the third sets of these three setters. But I think all of her matches, but one against arena Barra were, um, had to go the distance. So she's had to fight a lot. She's a good closer. She's a good closer. But today against Collins was the first time this tournament where I felt like I was watching her play where she almost in her head was like, I'm the one with experience. I'm the one that knows how to get this done. I'm the reigning you know, Australian Open champion. I'm the one that's like a top five player. Like there was some some very quiet swag from Sonia in today's match. And that was one of those things where I saw that and I was like, I think she could, I mean, she could do this. Like she absolutely can do this. I think that she was, she's really today like played within herself, even after Collins kind of came back and, and was able to steal that second set, Um, just kind of came out, put her head down and and played and and we saw this at the Australian Open. We saw Sonia Kennan play herself into form, play herself into belief, play herself into confidence. And I think that she really unlocked something today. So I while there's a, a part of me that whispers the, what Ben has been whispering uh in this episode, there's a part of me also that just kind of feels like like Sonia Kennan is built to take this. Look, I can make a very real case for either of them. And so I, I and I can make a case. I can make for, a case for all four. <laughs> I can make a case for Shiantek. 
the, I just have not seen enough Podoroska to feel like I could actually fill out an entire case form. I'd be like, uh, she's been maybe? very good. I'd be guessing. She's been very, be very guessing. good. She's been very good. Obviously, the she's results. I mean, good. winning eight matches at a Grand Slam. Well, not even just like that. She has got the wins, but the the manner in which she's done it. Like for example, yeah. Ziegeman today. You know, she got into the quarterfinals and made her first Slam quarterfinals and had a great uh, tournament. I've I watched most of Siegemann's tournament. I didn't necessarily think that she was playing as well as she had played like in her Stuttgart title run. Yeah. For example, it wasn't particularly impressive. It just was like, "Oh, you're doing Siegemann things. Like yeah. you're you're playing She's more of a known quantity your... too." Yeah, and with Podoroska, like I don't know, her forehand has been really really impressive to me. I think that that's been the thing that uh yeah, that that could do that could cause some problems in terms of it probably is the one shot that gets the most kick off of this court of the four semifinalists and it's just heavy and can move people around and she's very smart tactically. So, um, yeah, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, uh, sleep on, on Podoroska at all. Not trying to. Let's get to the other remaining men's semifinal we have left to get to. Uh, Stefano Sitsipas, Courtney, you famously in our, I believe it was our draw show, <laughs> uh, for this tournament, we're talking about how you didn't understand how everyone was concerned about Steph. Uh, after his defeat at the U.S. Open, where he was up 5-1 in the fourth against Borna Chorich and had like six match points and didn't win it and all sorts of drama there. And then I guess you were watching the Hamburg final where he was playing against Andre Rublev and you were like, okay, guys, I get it. And now he's in the semis having beaten Andre Rublev today. So can you walk us through your Stefano Tsitsipas <laughs> journey? Yeah, no, I'm I'm super impressed by what Steph has done at Roland Garros. I because like I said, I was I was really confused. I wasn't worried about him at all after U.S. Open. Okay, bad loss, whatever, move on. And I just felt like everybody else was making more of a big deal of it than I thought it was. But then again, like kind of seeing him, not just against Rublev, but there were a few times I feel like in Hamburg where. He had leads in sets and he didn't and he kind of let them go and maybe he got away with it and he was able to, you know, eke out the match anyway. But I kept seeing him not close out sets cleanly. And so that started to kind of percolate. I was like, oh, OK, so this isn't just like what happened in New York. And then in the Hamburg final. Yeah, like he definitely was in a position to win that match. Yeah. And so that's when I was like, uh oh. And then he comes to Paris and he drops the first two sets in his opening round. And I'm like, uh oh, like Steph is Steph is in a spot. Yeah. Steph was not in a spot. He hasn't lost a, a set since those two. Um, today against Rublev, I was super impressed. Just. He looked so focused and so on it. And I just really loved, I was actually quite moved uh, on match point. He put away a forehand volley and he just kind of like uh, looked up to his box and he had this just really earnest and proud of himself, like grin on his, on his face, like very calmly. And it just, I don't know, for some reason that like left an impression on me in terms of just giving me a sense of his mindset. He didn't, you know, act like this was a big like a massive deal like very again proud of himself but not like holy shit i made the semifinals of a, of the french open etc cetera, etc cetera. who knows i mean he plays novak and we don't really know the state of novak djokovic at the moment but i have been very impressed by by ninja sitsapas the black looks really good the black looks really good and his cola catley masks big fan big fan of what he's been doing in paris agreed Novak Djokovic, you mentioned there, is still undefeated this year in matches which don't involve Pablo Carina Busta that, advancing without playing much tennis, <laughs> let's put it that way. So Pablo Carina Busta was his opponent again today. Uh, Novak was in a world of hurt, speaking of states, not just countries, but worlds of hurt, apparently. All sorts of things are bothering him. His back, his, his, uh, uh, his elbow, his bicep, his his neck i feel like i'm you know singing a what's her what's I her think name you're rapping uh i know keyless uh, Kalis? no Ke no 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 kia no Kia. no oh, i should know her because she does the things now oh what oh, let me google this i should know who this is this is embarrassing kia yeah kia yeah my neck my back kia anyway I don't know if that's an outro choice. We'll figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> that would be aggressive. That would be two, aggressive. Two questionable nominations early in this episode. Very different ones, though. Yeah. Novak is one of those players who can generate lots of drama or histrionics, physical drama, let's say, body horror. 
in a body horror <laughs> in a match. Jesus, that's aggressive. And it can wind not... up leading to not much, or it can lead to something. I don't know. I still think that he he has been picked to win this tournament. I I don't know that Rafa has done anything so, especially with Rafa coming down to earth a little bit against Sinner. I which was his first because Rafa's as um who was it who was on here. Somebody who? Oh, Reem. Reem was on here. And she was saying, like, Rafa's draw has been a joke in the first four rounds. And it had been. It was it was Garasimov. It was Mackie. It was Sebastian Korda and Travalia. Like, to make the quarters, that's your draw. That's nice. And you're Rafa, so no one's going to hold it against you. But that's not a challenging draw on any level. Fair point. So Fair point. then he gets center and he gets down breaks. And it looks a little bit more touchable instead of being untouchable. Let's put it that way untouched by the veronica is another idea for for and we'll work on it i still think that novak can do it but yeah steph looks good i i still think novak Steph, yeah yeah no i i still think that it's novak i i i'm I'll, i'm much more inclined to watch that semifinal given how well steph played today than if it, he had scrapped through and didn't look sharp and and things like that and he was playing Novak. Yeah. Um but again like today Novak against a PCB, I mean PCB had his chances as well um in those sets and it just felt like every time I like turn my head to tune in to Novak because I saw my Twitter timeline like panicking or something, he just has this amazing ability to just it's almost like he decides like he's like so I'm going to win this point. Like this point, I shall you know, win. His ability to will points is incredible. Yeah, it's unbelievable. It's it just, it's like, I honestly, like, he I is... just find it far. I mean, I find it more impressive than, than the, than, than Rafa's ability to do it. It's just, it, it just, I don't know. Like, it's really he, intimidating. <laughs> it'll, it'll, is, it'll put, yeah. He is like, he's the one of, of the three who, like, most often just sort of, I'm just like, you're really good at this. And I know that obviously like they they have all they have three very different appeals, right? But Novak's sort of like mental control of the situation. And again, it can go awry, it can be messy. Today was messy. But his like peak Novak when he's just looking like a like a force of will out there is is pretty wild. And yeah, he does seem like one of those people who's like I need this game and you can believe in him to get things back and it's not usually about the opponent cheating or not cheating, not, cheating, not about the opponent yeah. choking, right? As the way it's sometimes with other players where like they get the, <gasps> I'm playing, I'm beating, I'm up a break on Federer or Nadal, I'm going to here watch me choke, which is maybe a little bit of what Center did, but not really. Yeah, Novak is just really good. I don't think, yeah. I don't think Crane Abusta did that per se. I think that match was totally on a string at times for Novak. As much as Crane played fine, Novak is just that, that, that bitch. Well, well, and also, I mean, Carreño plays, Carreño, uh, Pablo plays, you know, immaculate percentage tennis. I think that if you take percentage yeah. tennis to Novak, I just feel like he understands the percentages way better than you. Like he just he from like a macro level, yeah. not just like in point, but just kind of like, OK, yeah, you can have those. But I'm going to go and grab these three points, though. Like yeah. you can have those eight. I'm just going to I'm going to go grab these three and that's going to be a straight set win for me. Like just by doing that, like you know, mm -hmm. like there's just some, there's just this, this, this ability that he has. So, yeah, I mean, it still obviously looks like like Rafa Novak, depending on how Novak is feeling. Obviously, if he comes out there and he's like armless, like uh, you know, then I think that I give Stefanos a chance to win. But um, uh, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking more forward to novak versus steph that i am looking forward to uh rafa versus diego i, I think rafa is going to win that match and there's a much bigger there's a much bigger chance that rafa diego is just a complete blowout yeah. that's like the most likely chance whereas i do think how with how well stuff is playing with novak having some question marks they could both they could both suck both matches could suck sure. they could both be great or one so these are our options <laughs> <laughs> this is look at us on a limb ah uh, you know uh, and with that, we thank you guys for listening to this semifinal preview. <laughs> Very conclusive decisions we reached here. If you want to support the show when you're not listening, you can, or whenever, uh, on Patreon, it's great. We have one new Patreon backer to thank. So thank you to Sasha, not Bublik or Zverev, but a Sasha. So thank you, or Bayan, or any of their tennis Sashas. But Sasha, thank you, the Sasha. The best Sasha. My favorite Sasha, let's put it this that is way. My, this is my, this more is than my... Bubbles? You know, yeah. That's big talk. Wow. Well, 
Okay. You know. Earned. 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 Sasha, Sasha Bubbles has a way to fix it. He knows where our Patreon is. He's making <laughs> he, money. He does. He's actually going to be on our page. I, I haven't done that yet. I need to put the rest of... It didn't feel like it made sense to do it after we lost second round, which I was sad about. So I will, at some point in the near this month, I will put the rest of the Bubbles interview in Australia, which I remember being a mess. But it'll get on Patreon, where it can be listened to by people, including our Patreon Slam Champ backers, who think every episode, Liz Kimmel, Jonathan Weinbaum, Mary Carrillo, Leah Williams, Chuang Nguyen, Betty, Audrey Wellens, Sean Mulroy, Susanna W., Jean Simeon and Antonio Maycumber, and our GOAT backers, Charles Cena, Mike, J.O.D., and Nicole Copeland. So thank you to all of them very much for their support of NCR. If you want to join them, patreon.com slash no challenges remaining is where we are. Send us emails, questions, comments, reactions, affirmations to no challenges remaining at gmail.com and leave us reviews on your favorite podcast review site, which is usually the podcast app or iTunes is the sort of main one. There's some other things Spotify probably has reviews too. I don't know. I don't know. I don't do Spotify, but some people do, and I'm sure it's lovely. So... Spotify me, Spotify me. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, that's, that's... SNL drunk uncle. So good. That's, that's good stuff. Another <laughs> outro choice? Oh, the, the options are overwhelming. Uh, we'll see what we pick here. Um, hmm, what should I pick? I'll do something from Evita, I feel like. I feel like between the two Argentine semifinalists, right, and getting brought up with the guy on the balcony recently, like, I think it just makes sense. I'll pick I'll pick an Evita track. Like, what's new, Buenos Aires? Bye, guys. Ciao, ciao. Just our quality.